Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And today we're going to explore what's kind of called a great big abyss maybe. So listen to this. I love this quote. We must begin to help people, citizens and leaders alike to bring new mind to bear upon social change. In this way, it is hoped that we can rise to the challenge of our times and ferry ourselves across the dangerous abyss that separates a dying era from a borning one. Mm, that quote sets the stage for us today. We are in the midst of the greatest change in human history. There's change at every level, climate, immigration, governance, ecology, food, education, finance, industry, media, technology, the relationships between cultures, the rise of women, and patterns of inequality. Our guest today says, it is as if we have been in a game, a way of being for hundreds, if not thousands of years. The old game is receding and a new game of life is emerging, one that compels vision, skill, creativity, courage, and collaboration. It requires active game changers, people who know themselves as works in progress, who have developed the physical, mental, and spiritual potentials needed in this time of radical challenge and transition. She calls them social artists. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential self as I introduce our guest. As a world-renowned social artist herself, she doesn't need much introduction. It's kind of like saying Oprah's in the house. Dr. Jean Houston is an international consultant for the United Nations, acclaimed author of 30 books, renowned teacher and advisor to leaders and governments around the world, including a humanitarian consultant to over 100 nations. She's a scholar, philosopher, and researcher in human capacities, one of the principal founders of the Human Potential Movement a past president of the Association for Humanistic Psychology and instrumental in the development of the new field of social artistry. So what is that? We're going to find out. Welcome, Dr. Houston. Thank you, Dr. Julie. What a pleasure to be with you today. Oh, well, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you. And I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long. And the topic just really makes my heart sing. I'm so happy that we're going to be talking about leaders and what leaders need in all aspects of life today. But Dr. Houston, I have a traditional first question please, I'd please like to ask Jean, her. By the way, I, I don't. I have a Pardon? number of doctorates and they cancel each other out. So call me Jean. Okay. Okay, Jean. Thank you. So my traditional first question on the show helps us to kind of set our whole conversation into this bigger conversation that we're having. So I want to start with that. Can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, it means the nature of reality itself. You know, the ancients knew this when you read some of the most ancient of the Upanishads or 
ancient scriptures, you always get, or in many cases, you get this whole sense that everything is in a vast unity, in a living universe. And today we're closer to that, especially with the rise of the uh, what really can be derived from quantum physics, that we are all entangled, one with the other. It's not unlike what the ancients referred to as Indra's net. In the heaven of Indra, that means in reality, uh, there is a network of jewels, and each one uh, is reflecting all the others. And ultimately, all are within a great oneness. But we now know from quantum physics that everything is entangled. In fact, we may be living in a profound hologram <laughs> in some ways, uh, and that, that's, that's scientific uh, uh, speculation. That's not just the mystical speculation that always knew it to be a fact. So it is the very fact of the vast levels, multiple levels of connectivity within which we exist. Mm. Thank you for that response, Jean. This, one of the things that I've always appreciated about your work, I've been a fan for decades as a psychotherapist myself and mm-hmm. and working with people and, and, and also your language. You just have this beautiful artistry with word as well as now what you're working on with the social artistry. So I, I thank you for that. And I, I just want to start, let's talk about the world first. We're in this place of great change, like I mentioned in the um, intro, and there's there's really need for whole systems change. So before we talk about social artistry, let's talk about what's going on in the world and why we need it. Well, as you said at the beginning, I think you were probably quoting something, that everything is interlinked, but all systems are in transition. All systems are in breakdown of their particular modes of being of the last 50 to 100 years, and many systems are in breakthrough. I mean, factors utterly unique to our reality have occurred in just very recent times. The most important being the rise of women to full partnership with men in the whole domain of human affairs, with terrible backlash, but it is happening everywhere. And this brings a an entirely different uh, gift into uh, our our earth and time, because with women the emphasis is on process rather than product. The emphasis is making things grow, cohere, relate, and it's not that you don't have a lot of men who do that too. But with the rise of women, there literally is an entirely new uh, affect that is brought into time and history. Many women actually have come to see themselves as both pilgrims and parents of this emerging new order, and no old ways of being or shibboleths or modes and behaviors uh, are going to try to stop them, try as hard as they, as they, as they are, are doing. So that, that's probably the major shift in human history, I think perhaps the most important shift of the last 5,000 years. But also we look at the fact that we are all in a state of radical interconnection. I mean, in a sense, I cough and somebody in Vietnam sneezes. I mean, that's the metaphor, of course. But I look at my own life. I know I get an awful lot of emails. I get maybe a thousand a day. Um, everybody figuring that, well, yeah, most of them having it to do with people asking me to do something for them. <laughs> but that's okay. I do the best I can. But if I were just to take this this morning, who did I hear from today? Well, Bangladesh, Laos, uh, England, France, Sicily, <laughs> um, various states of the United States, of course, 
and uh, Washington, D.C., and also in the Ukraine. I mean, any day will bring me at least 20 different countries or different arenas, and also from people in business, industry, government, God knows, spirituality, you get the idea. So I find myself at my advanced age right in the center of this great webbing, this tremendous interconnection of people in a state of breakdown, breakthrough, yearning, trying to make sense of it all, and above all, trying to find and help to make a world that works for everyone. Mm. Well, thank you for bringing that in, because this is an important part of really setting the stage for why we why we need this new forms of leadership, new ways of leading. And so people are reaching out to you and other leaders across the globe because like you have said, our old ways of leadership, our old ways of managing change, our old ways of, of really moving things forward, are in breakdown as well as all these systems that are in breakdown. And so you're looking at new ways. And the thing that I really want to just presence here for you is your social artistry is so inclusive. It's cross-cultural. It's comprehensive. So let's, let's talk about that. Why new leadership? And what does this new leadership look like? Well, what I have found all over the world is that leadership as it was is not working anymore. I mean, you look at contemporary, what's happening in America right now in these uh, (laughs) pathological elections, one would say, where there is the recurrence of the desire for the the man on the horse, the strong man who will, uh, out of his own personality, run it all. And, of course, that's not going to work. You have the rise of a woman leader. You have the rise of a revolutionary. These are classical types. Let's keep the, the old form, uh, the ancient form of the, the one leader going, which, which unfortunately I'm old enough to have remembered what that did in World War II you know, with Hitler and Mussolini. Or let's have a revolution, comes the revolution. Or let's you know, just break with the old tradition and have a, a well-established, uh, powerful woman in the lead. I mean, that's kind of the breakthrough. Now, where it's going to go yet, I don't know. But what is happening is that there is a fundamental change happening in the nature of civilization, compelling a passion beyond, a a passage beyond the mindset and institutions of millennia. And it's also including the harvesting of the collective wisdom of many cultures. Many years ago, Margaret Mead sent me out all over the world. She said, Jean, go out and harvest the human potential. And uh, Margaret Mead was the great anthropologist and also my adopted mother. Uh, She said, I need another daughter, so that's probably you. I mean, I had a wonderful Mm -hmm. mother, and she had a wonderful daughter, but that was our relationship. So I've been doing that for many, 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 many years, harvesting the wisdom of many cultures, trying to also help the creation of a true partnership society in which men, women join men in the full social agenda. I mean, there is a a rising consciousness, and we now know from quantum physics that consciousness is at the basis of it all. Uh, But what we're getting is is a, a coming into this, what we're calling social artistry, human development in the light of social change. 
And it isn't just social change, it's biological change, it's, it's philosophical change, it's change in the understanding of cosmology and the nature of the universe. It's essentially a renaissance, a renaissance coming from the Italian word rinascita, to be reborn, in which humanity and the earth are moving into a rebirth and a collective destiny. And as the membrane of old forms breaks down, a more complex and inclusive global organism is coming into being, and we're living in the middle of it. And we are the living cells within this new organism. And as such, we are being rescaled to earthwide proportions in both our responsiveness and our responsibilities. Now, for many years, I've been called, and it began with Margaret Mead pushing me, you know, out of the cradle of my this working in terms of human development into social development. And what I find that leadership all over the world, for the most part, there's brilliant exceptions, like Justin uh, Trudeau in Canada, but most leadership is still embalmed in archaic traditions, the people being trained to be good leaders of the year 1953, not for today. And the world deeply needs the, uh, a new order of leadership. So that's where I've called in. I've worked at the highest levels and levels of the poorest of the poor. I mean, I might be working with the head of a state one day, and then I might be working with the man who pushes the broom in his leper colony in southern India. Uh, but everywhere we go, we find people yearning for that new edge. And there's various things that we discover, and I've been training people you know, for many, many, many years. Um, because the social artist is one who brings artistry, the same kind of um, uh, intention of artistry that a fine artist brings to his or her materials. But in this case, it is the canvas of society itself. So the social artist is one who participates in the art of new creation. And herein we explore the mystery of the interface between the engagement of outer realities and the embrace of the inner journey. Now, the inner journey can be not just a spiritual journey. The inner journey is to tap into those latent and dormant potentials that are so deeply needed today that were not needed in, in a big way in any time in history. So we teach people to greatly expand their physical embodiment, greatly expand their sensory capacities, their inner and outer, and this gives them access to past, present, and future, in a sense, so greatly enhanced so many of their capacities. And thus they have vision. They have a passion for the possible. And a, they have the creativity that gives them a unique perspective on what needs to be done, you see. And so when we... Uh, creative social artistry is contemplative, a vital synergy between the inner and outer realities that are absolutely required to transform organizations, institutions, paths of possibility, as well as visionary endeavors, and in so doing, to unleash, to unleash the human spirit of those who are attempting the endeavor and those served by it. Now, it, it requires spiritually what we would call, what the Buddhists call, inner refuge, an inner refuge means you go inside into the great, open, potent silence and spaciousness that is there within. And of course, for some, that's very hard to get to, but for many, it's there. 
and therein they find an extraordinary balance of tension and repose. It, it's a space of exquisite silence and of extraordinary service. And therein, you have access to remarkable creative ideas, world-making patterns, evolutionary agendas. And this then allows you to take on, you know, the, the poisons and the, and the, uh, the outmoded situations that then in both your personal life and your public life that allow these to dissolve and thus enter into this creative, evolutionary uh, agenda and creativity that you did not even know you had. World-making patterns, creative ideas, and that would be the spiritual level of it. And so what we have created is a good many pioneers in the field of whole system transition, um, uh, so it really is a vital social movement. And these people are out there. They're creating new political parties and movements. They're strengthening their communities. They're deepening their spiritual practice. They're discovering liberation of with, within and without. They are building networks of locally rooted businesses. They are, they are restoring forests and watersheds. They're promoting products uh, that, are, that are natural they're serving as peacemakers between hostile groups. They're advancing organic agriculture. They're practicing holistic health. They're directing their investments, if they have them, to socially responsible businesses. They're organizing recycling campaigns. They're demanding that trade agreements protect the rights of people and the environment. These are the kinds of things that happen when you really begin to enhance and develop the great plenum, the great spectrum of internal capacities that are waiting, yearning to emerge into life and into the space-time matrix in which we find ourselves. Mm. Jean, I'm in this beautiful, reflective place just listening to you. And the thing that I really, I just want to pause into here to really help our listeners hear a difference, a subtle difference here that I think is so important, um, especially for many of the conversations that are going on, is the difference between we have we have those activists, we have people who want to get out there and make change, we have that contemplative practice, we have that that inner activism and subtle activism, but it feels like what I hear when I hear you speak. Um, of these beautiful pilgrims that are coming out of your programs is that they're really empowered to create the new and to lead from that place, not to just go and, and get on board with other activists or sit in meditation, but to really find their voice, their power, and move into action wherever they are, affecting real change. I believe that's so. At least that's what I've seen over many years. Yeah, yeah. But it comes and, from inside you know, out. It's not outside in. They don't just the sit around a table and say, well, we got a problem, boys and girls. What are we going to do? Well, why don't you try this? One, two, three. It's not that way. It starts from inside out. We enhance our inner capacities. We clean up our act. We uh, agree to inter inner hygiene, and we take it from there. As we also grow, then we take in these 
different issues, different problems. Yeah, I was just with a um, group this last weekend of, of visionary leaders and change makers, and um, we were we were doing a synergy forum, and we started off by really saying, "What are some of the goals we would like to accomplish?" And what happened over the few days was that people were like, "Hey, we already know what the goals are. We already have we already have our capacities. We have all the brilliance and genius right here. Now let's support each other to move forward. We don't have to create something new." And it sounds like social artistry is that for those taking the program with you is that they step into their power and just keep moving forward. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And there's so many different things that come out of this. Um, I I would, if I were to try to to describe it, I would have to say that (laughs) some of the things that they do are um, they create ongoing teaching learning societies, teaching learning groups. No guru, no guru. Guru is spelled G U R U. But they they create a kind of in their teaching learning communities. Uh, what should we call it? It, it? It's a place where they integrate all the parts of their life, inner and outer masculine and feminine, personal and global, uh, intuitive and rational, and many more. And it is the intention to integrate, to consciously bridge differences, to connect people, to celebrate diversity, to harmonize efforts and discover higher common ground. And with its inclusive and reconciling nature, it takes this whole system, this social artistry approach, and offers hope in a world facing deep, deep, deep ecological, social, and spiritual crisis. And so they provide a model for participation. And so this is what is so very, very exciting. They, they are, let's put it this way, they are healers. Um, mm. Now, healing is holding. Healing involves the mystery of change, of transformation, of the incredibly fluid nature of our body, minds, and psyches, and by extension, our societies and cultures. And we live in a world, wouldn't you agree, that is ripe for healing. And this is ultimately what motivates the social artists to take initiatives. We are built for healing. You know, the nature and process of healing, the varieties of the healing experience for both persons and societies seems to be the very condition of our humanity and the training ground for our social unfoldment. And the critical issue here, and one that distinguishes the great and inspired social artists compared to the ordinary, run-of-the-mill one, is the mystery as to whether they regard healing as redemptive or creative, salvational or evolutional. I mean, all manner of fundamentalisms are generally redemptive. are generally redemptive in their philosophies and liturgies. One is always trying to fix the old Adam. Or if one cannot, one then assures followers of ultimate fixing on another plane after death. I mean, in our traditional medical technology and healing practice, too often the emphasis is on, um, is on the redemptive. 
you know, you fix things. Mm. And this leads to jihads and wars of jihads and defense. But real healing is evolutional. It has something, you have somewhere you can go. There's something to become. I mean, even illness contains within itself the the notion of deconstruction leading to a higher reconstruction, chaos leading to cosmos. Healing, I believe, is holding the move from a limited condition felt in a most painful way through a process leading to the creation on a new level of a higher order of mind, emotions, physical being, something changes. Mm-hmm. The wounds in the body of society are, are experienced as doorways, doorways to higher consciousness, more evolved forms. And thus the social artist learns to respect, to be in wonder and astonishment before the other, to respect mm-hmm. the uniqueness of each person that she or he is working with. It helps people to ignite themselves. And by the way, doesn't take any credit for the ignition, or otherwise people continue in the old dependency model and are led around like sheep. Yes. So the good social artist healer is an evocateur, a midwife of souls, who shows people how to access their inner wisdom and knowledge. And this belongs, this takes us beyond left versus right or us against them, and promotes cooperation, understanding, and networks of mutual aid. It's, it's above all, compassionate listening, a major mm-hmm. training for the social artist. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. I want to just, like bask in all of those different words and terminology it's leaving a beautiful vision for me and our listeners and we have so much more to talk about we are going to take a quick break but i want to let our listeners know we are going to talk specifics about this program coming up in july and you can find more at jeanhoustonfoundation.org or go to jean's personal website jeanhouston.com but the change oh, makers the way, uh, yeah the yes? best way is to go jhf2016.com. Oh, that'll take them J- directly there. JHF, that stands for Jane Houston Foundation. jhf2016.com. That's the way where you get to all the information. Perfect. JHF2016. And you'll hear more about Game Changers. We're going to take a quick break. Yep. So much more with Dr. Jean Houston when we return. Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. (coughs) See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Come to the forest. 
It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs, ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you, the enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. Yes, is that one. The free to be me you. <laughs> Ask your parents to take you to this not so far away place. Come to the forest where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Do you get tired of styling your hair every day? And do you want a good hairstyle every day? Hi, I'm Sarah Schuster. I went on a website called inventnow.org, and after that, I decided to invent something too—something called the InstaDo. Just imagine—you just put it over your head like a helmet does, and you pick your hairstyle with the buttons on the side. And you can have instant hairstyle in seconds. People like it. People like Jeff Bart. I like it. And people like Kenneth. It's a summer thing, and it fits over your head, and it's great. Thank you, and- Kenneth. You should go to inventnow.org, and it could help you come up with your own invention. After all, look at me on the radio now. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions, or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. If you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and listen to it again. You can do that by visiting our website, thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all of the archive links as well as listing of upcoming guests. And also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. Both Jean and I would love to hear from you. Leave us a comment. And you can find Jean and the program that we're talking about today. We'll get into some more specifics, but you can find that at jhf2016.com. Dr. Houston, this has been, I, I just, yes, Jean, thank you for that. You know, the social artistry for me, I just love even just the name social artistry because I feel I feel such an affinity with all of this. And the thing that I appreciate is you. one of the definitions is that social artistry is an emerging discipline in leadership development as well as a new profession whose craft is conscious evolution. And thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the foresight and the wisdom to really rise up these leaders who are willing to step forward and really work on this craft as conscious evolution itself. So who are these social artists who are stepping forward? What kind, who, who's the invitation for? Well, the, the invitation is for really everyone who feels that they... They, we are part of a great game, and we have to consciously change the game. It's for the game changers, the people who have a sufficiency of a passion for the possible, 
that they really want to do the work on themselves that can do the work on the world to change the game, to make the difference. Because if we don't, well, then we're out of here, you know, pretty soon. I would say, oh, in 200 years, there'll be a million and a half of us left. We will look awful. <laughs> and we'll be stumbling over abandoned electronic appliances. But it will not be a good scene. And uh, we are at a tremendous turning point in history. Now, people all over know this, but few know, few have been educated for a different time, a different world. Few are prepared for the task of dealing with the complexity of chaos of today when the usual formulas and stopgap solutions of earlier eras, and the earlier era could be just 10 years ago, you know, it will not help. And uh, what is worse is the frequency with which leaders avoid working co-creatively uh, with their constituents, thus continuing models of dependency and social apathy. I mean, worldwide, I find, worldwide societies are crying for assistance in the transformation of their citizens, their organizations, their institutions. And this is where new ways of looking at leadership are required, as well as new methods of developing human beings eager to serve the concept of an ecologically sound and sustainable world civilization. Because I really believe that uh, we probably are moving within the next 25 to 50 years. I mean, it's right upon us. Everything is happening. We're probably moving toward a world civilization with a high individuation of cultures. I mean, uh, certainly that's been discussed in the UN for a long, long time. Did you know that I knew Eleanor Roosevelt? <laughs> uh, did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, well, I was in high school, and I was president of my high school, uh, the, you know, the general organization, the student organization. And Mrs. Roosevelt uh, brought us together, we young high school leaders, to help us... Um, get interested in international affairs, and particularly in the U.N. She had recently retired, you know, from the U.N. And it was so interesting. She, um, she, she encouraged us to understand, you know, the Bill of Rights, the Bill of Rights, both in her case it was for the earth as well as for people. She encouraged us to really look beyond our, our little local d dilemmas and, uh, to really begin to think internationally, to think in ways that that would take us out of our um, out of our our old ways of thinking and seeing, she made us really stand up for what we truly believed in. And it, I mean, she she was absolutely extraordinary. She actually turned to me once, and she said, "My dear." I rather suspect you're going to have a most interesting career. But remember, mm. my dear, that a woman, a, a, a woman in our time can expect to be trashed. She didn't use the word trashed. I don't remember the word she used, but something like that. But remember, too, then, my dear, that a woman is just like a tea bag. You put her in hot water, and she just gets stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's we had precious. Six or seven meetings with her. She was really quite an extraordinary being. So you know, having been so close to the UN, over you know, I actually saw it go up, you know, when they built it uh, in New York, you know, and knowing Mrs. Roosevelt, 
that is what really put me into, I would say, it settled the germ in me for social, for social artistry. Mm. What a beautiful but story. was something. She was really something. Oh, yes, I love that. You know, just also listening to you talking about that and just with leaders right now, we really, you don't have to be a leader of a nation or in the United Nations to to really be a social artist here. And the thing that um, that I'm hearing as you're talking also is this this new co-creative leadership, this harmonizing our efforts and finding our common ground really is not a redo of masculine and it's not just a feminine. It really is an integral way of us looking at our global way of being on this planet. So I I just want to mention this because I think this is important for our listeners, Gene, is that there there are those out there saying, well, I, I'm doing my part, or holy cow, I can't create the new game and all the rules. But I'm going to ask you this. From my experience, it's as if we step into this leadership, and like you said, all those latent capacities, the, the inward begins to direct and guide, and it becomes this, like the process becomes us, the leadership leads us that mm-hmm. we yeah. are, and we get to work together. So it's not like you're going to be all alone and you got to come up with a brand new system. It's like step into the social artistry and all the paints and yummy colors and everything we need are going to emerge in that process. Yes, I mean, we, are, we learn in social artistry that we are coded with potentials few of which we ever learned to use. I mean, in a time of whole system transition, we simply can can no longer afford to live as half-light versions of ourselves. I mean, we learn together that the complexity of our time requires a greater, a wiser use of our capacities, a, a rich playing of the instrument that we've been given. The world can thrive only if we can grow. I mean, the what I've thought of for years is the possible society can become a reality only if people learn to be the possible humans we're meant to be. And so in my work for so many years, we've, we discovered that we're able to learn to think, to feel, to know in new ways, to become more creative, more imaginative, to aspire within realistic limits to a much larger awareness, one that is much more finely equipped to to deal with the many challenges of modern life. We learn to make conscious use of the complex wisdom of the body and thus achieve an orchestral experience of the self and its many ecologies, which, frankly, technological enhancement really cannot give, you see. So one of the things that we do in this training is we learn to expand our capacities on four levels, probably many more, but... Four major ones. One is the sensory physical one, which we talked about earlier. Another is the psychological level. We are not, we are not encapsulated bags of skin, uh, dragging around dreary little ego. Ego is only one image among the multiple, multiple selves that we have. In fact, we have so many different selves. I find, I, I always give this funny example that I happen to hate to write. I truly hate to write. I am phobic for it, and yet I have. Well, well over 30 books. I, I've even lost counting, maybe 33 by now. 
and a lot of unpublished material. I have to write, how do I do it? I happen to be a very good cook. Why are you such a good cook, Jean? Well, because my mother, Maria Nunziata Serafina Grazia, La Fiorina Popeccia Tadaro, born in Syracuse, Sicily, marries Jack Houston of Texas. They hate each other's food. And so to try to keep them together, I became the world's first fusion cook, you know, making chicken fried polenta. So I got to be a good cook. I have no blocks as a cook, none at all. As a writer, I am formidably blocked. So to write, I take on a totally different persona, the cook. And so I think of myself as stirring in a melange of ideas and adding the spices of different associations. I mean, as a, as a cook, I am not blocked. As Jean, the writer, I'm totally blocked. So that's something else, psychologically. Psychologically, we have so many levels and layers and layers and layers of, of different uh, ways of looking, seeing, relating, and uh, cultures. Now, of course, in a time which all these cultures are mixing and matching, we have different cultures within the psyche. We learn how to tap into these. We learn that time is not something that we are bound by. In fact, modern physics, and I have two books coming out this uh, year, dealing with quantum physics. Modern physics shows that time, past, present, and future are simultaneous in ways that are very hard to understand in the usual ways. So I teach people how to accelerate time, how to take, say, five minutes of clock time equal subjectively to an hour, and then rehearse something that would normally, eternally, take hours, and they can do it in five minutes, you know, or to go beyond the borders of the usual time-space continuum in their imagination and in a minute or two of clock time subjectively to take a trip around the world. Is it imaginative? Yes, but it is. Imagination is right above the great levels of consciousness itself and where we can do so much. I mean, those are just a few of the different kinds of things that we can do psychologically. Um, mm -hmm. And then cross the great divide of otherness and to enter in something that I've had to learn to do, to learn enter into the mindset, the body set, the skill set, of different types of cultures so that you do not come in as utterly alien, but as someone who is resonant and deeply responsive to the nature of the different culture. Then mythically, we are mything links. My, my, in fact, my, my autobiography is called A Mythic Life, that we contain the great, great stories, the hero's journey, the heroine's journey, the great, great mythic stories within us that then allow us to push the membrane of the possible when it comes to helping to co-create the new mythic time that we are in and understand that indeed we are in mythic times and how to operate in mythic times. And then ultimately what I refer to spiritually, that we are, as my, the man I used to walk with between my 14th and 17th year, who I call Mr. Taher, but who turned out to be Taher de Chardin, who lived across the street from me in New York, uh, that we are not simply human beings having a spiritual experience, but that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And this, my friend, takes us deep and far and brings quantum physics and a new order of spirituality and metaphysics together. So it's those yes. kinds of things that we also train people in. That's beautiful. I just hear that... I really appreciate you being real specific about some of the training. It's... I'm hearing that our human potential is our social potential. 
What, Jean, what do you think is our new story for this time? What is our, I know we've been talking about the change and we've been talking about it, but as we roll this out in the best possible human and social potential moving forward 50, 100 years, what is our new myth? What's our new story we're writing right now? Well, if we were to look at it uh, in terms of what is emerging, and then maybe I can put some story form, it's about the emerging ecology of, uh, of mind and psyche. It's about our availability to each other. It's about our ability to dream each other's dreams and experience each other's biographies. It's about the interpenetrating wave of time, psyche, memory. It's about us being rescaled to planetary proportions and mythic. I mean, what do you think all of this metamorphic movies is about, you know, Iron (laughs) Man, Superwoman. I mean, those are sort of the comic book versions of what is actually emerging in our souls and bodies. It's about our becoming resonant and intimate with our own depths. And it's about the fact that we exist in a time in which the world mind is taking a walk with itself, a world in which densely interconnected communication networks of people uh, who, who cherish their communities, who care deeply about life on this planet, are creating something that was never seen before, a higher level of being, a higher level ultimately of governance. It's about the Earth herself becoming a vast teaching, learning community. It, it is about the way of a whole need of social, uh, way of social evolution. It's about the archetypes, the ancient archetypes arising from deeply within our psyche. I mean, we see this in all the new science fiction, God knows. But it's also about these archetypes growing, changing. As we grow the archetypes, they grow us in a whole new way. I mean, it's about all these things. It's about being able to gain the capacity to do extraordinary things to help people and citizens and leaders alike to bring, to bring new mind to bear upon personal and social change. It's about, as you said, ferrying ourselves across the dangerous abyss that separates a dying era from a borning one. It is about a new mythic way of being and doing. Mm. Mm, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, again, just really deeply appreciate the depth of this reflection into what's happening. And and I think it really helps us ground this conversation so people really understand that evolution of consciousness as we're becoming conscious of it evolving. So thank you for that. And Jean, we have like 10 minutes left in our conversation. And I want to make sure that our listeners, again, you can go to jhf2016.com. But this program... It's the end of July, and it's how many how many days? And it's they are eight going. Days. It's from July the thirtieth, I believe. Yes, the thirtieth till August the eighth. Okay, and they're coming to you. August seventh, I guess. Well, they're coming to us at uh, Southern Oregon University. Okay. And that's Southern... in Ashland, Oregon, and probably often considered one of the best towns uh, in America. Um, probably one of the most socially advanced towns in America, as well as very, very beautiful, and the center of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which is probably uh, some of the best theater in America. That's why we're taking everybody to 
the outdoor festival in in, in great uh, Shakespearean building, uh, outdoor mm. building, where we're going to be seeing the Wiz, you know, the Afro-American take on the Wizard of Oz. Interesting, because the Wizard of Oz is very important to me. I actually wrote a book about it called The Wizard of Oz, which uh, then brought me on to uh, Oprah's <laughs> the Oprah <laughs> show talking about it. Um, but it will be eight days, and uh, um, it's for what it is. It's it's we're actually charging half of what we used to charge, and when we did this up through two thousand and nine, and then I decided to to teach it with my my mag- magnificent teaching partner uh, uh, Peggy Rubin, and also Dwayne Elgin is coming on, one of the greatest social artists who's now living in America. Uh, Oziyama Wagano, uh, uh, who is the daughter of the Nigerian ambassador and one of the great social artists of our time, she'll be there with us as well as our magnificent local folks who are working with us. It's uh, it's going to be a great deal of fun, and it will involve a lot of um, a lot of growth, physically, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, and there'll be music and dance and hilarity and. All the good things. It is artistry at every possible level. So mm. if people can come, you just and by the way, if they sign, well, it it, it I know the show is going. This is the program is going later, but it for what it is, it is more than worth it. It will. It's a life changing. It makes people. It turns people into game changers and gives them ongoing continuity for a year of continuing to learn and think and be. So it really, in a way, is a year-long program, although it begins as eight days in the end of July and August. Beautiful. And it builds community and support. Absolutely. Ah, yeah. It builds community and heart and uh, gives people the, the energy and the lure of becoming and the complexity and connectivity to keep on keeping on and truly be a good game changer. The social artist is one who brings focus, perspective, skill, training, tireless dedication, and fresh vision of the artist to the social arena. You see? And thus, we find that all who have been in our programs, that she or he seeks and finds innovative solutions to troubling conditions uh, is a lifelong learner. I mean, ever hungry for insights and skills and imaginative ideas and deeper understanding of present-day issues. And above all, the social artist is one who is always, always, always extending their own as well as helping others extend their human capacities in the light of living in a time of so much change. Uh, I just want to read the mission of your foundation, the Gene Houston Foundation, because it goes right along with that. The mission of the foundation addresses global need. The foundation promotes positive change by developing international communities of leaders in social artistry to apply a wide range of cutting-edge leadership and human potential development skills for finding innovative solutions to critical local and global issues. Wow, thank you so much for your service to thank all of so humanity much. in this way, Jean. Thank you. And thank oh, you for yeah. having me on this program. You're a wonderful so, evocateur, by the way. 
Oh, thank you. Know, you. We're, we're talking thank to me you. at a time that I'm in the throes of pneumonia, and you have made me forget the fact that I have pneumonia by asking such deep and evocative questions. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, you you answer with eloquence for sure, and you make it you make my job really easy. And so, thank you for that. So we have about four minutes. So in a yes. in a minute or two left, what might you want to leave our listeners? What what piece nugget of inspiration can you share with our listeners today? Well, I think the fact that uh, you, the listener, have been born into the most awesome, challenging, engaging evocative time in human history. I mean, other times thought they were it. They're wrong. This is it. This is the big turning, the great fulcrum of history. And that's why it's, if, if, it's, it's very important that if you have felt a call to doing more, being more, creating more, co-creating with others, being a game changer, then I would have to say that this time in Ashland, Oregon, at the end of July and the beginning days of August is for you. If, if you feel that you are in a time of a, what should we say, a stride of soul, a stride of soul to carry you beyond the old forms, that if you're involved in a stride of soul that will challenge the very canons of our human condition, if you feel that you're in the stride of soul that requires that we become evolutionary partners with each other, learning the skill sets to allow us to do us, finding qualities and capacities that can bring you to being a game changer, then this kind of training is for you. Mm. And so, my friends, I, I do hope to meet you. I do hope to meet you this summer in Ashland, Oregon, in the Social Artistry Institute. Uh, beautiful. I so want to be there. I can't think of anyone else on the planet I would want to learn these things from. Of course, there is no one else I can learn it from. And your your genius, your brilliance is so inspiring. So I might have to look at my calendar and, and see if I can make it out there. Jean, thank you so much for you, sharing your brilliance with us here today. Thank you very much, Julia. It's been a pleasure to be with you and with all of you who are listening. Mm, amen. And remember, I want to remind you, you can find Jean at G, excuse me, at jhf2016.com. That is the jeanhoustonfoundation.org. Or you can just Google Jean because you are sure to find many, many ways to get to the same thing. We've been talking about the game changers. So when you get on that site, look for game changers and you will find all the information right there to register, to read more about the program, and, and to connect in that way. So I just want to remind you all, thank you for being here. And together, we're creating connections for the greater good of the whole. And text, until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. 